You're listening to The Broken Meeple, a show about board and card games devoted to the gamers that play them. Thanks for your support, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. The Broken Meeple, episode 16, 32-hour marathon. Welcome to this special episode of The Broken Meeple. Today I focus all my thoughts on the recent 32-hour charity marathon that I undertook as part of the Tabletop Day Worldwide celebrations. I go through games that I've played, games that I've seen for the first time, reactions from other people, and also just my general feelings on how I managed to survive 32 hours straight of gaming. I am your host Luke Hector, also known as the Locomotive Card and Ticket to Ride. Welcome to this special episode of The Broken Meeple. It's good to be back on the microphone. Hopefully this will come out nice and clear. But now and again, if you do hear some background noise, I do apologize. My location that I have to do this is not perfect. And as much as I've tried to get around it, it's, I can only do so much. I wish I had a recording booth. I wish I had the perfect setup. But there's only so much I can do and work with. Anybody who has any better ideas is more than happy to let me know them. And I'll certainly take them into consideration. But let's try and avoid the whole turning my place into a sound mixing studio. Because there is only so much I can afford. Now, the reason I'm doing this particular episode is because I undertook a 32-hour tabletop day marathon on the 5th and 6th of April 2014. Uh, the mission was that I would start at a 8-hour games day that was hosted by the Solent Wargamer Society in association with Portsmouth on board. That was lasting from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then straight from there, I would travel to the Southampton convention, which was Ministab. Ministab is a almost like a biannual convention that is hosted by some friends of mine. And it essentially is another day of spending playing games. Normally, it only lasts for a day. This time, it was lasting for 48 hours. But obviously, I could only manage part of that because from Friday onwards I was I was celebrating my 30th birthday and Saturday for most of the day I was at the Portsmouth session so I would then so as soon as the Portsmouth session was done I traveled to the Southampton one which was about 6 30 to 7 o'clock by the time I got there and then continued the rest of the marathon all the way until early evening on the Sunday the original intention was that I would only do 24 hours but I had previously booked myself into playing some games with some friends who were turning up late and one of them was bringing Twilight Imperium 3. Yes, at the end of 24 hours I thought it would be a great idea to play a game of Twilight Imperium 3. Yeah, great thinking there Luke, that was a brilliant idea. But in the end I managed to survive, in fact things got a little bit simpler towards the end but there were a couple of periods where I was really struggling but I'll get onto that more later. So this episode is just going to have me reflecting on games that I played and my experiences of trying to survive 32 hours. Normal procedure and normal routine will resume from episode 17 onwards with another top 10, another topic for discussion and of course first impressions. But today is my tabletop taste special.
So I arrive at Portsmouth and it kicks off with Rampage. This was the first game that was set up for me. And Rampage is something that I've always been tempted to play just because of the sheer craziness of it. Now Rampage is basically every kid's wet dream. You have a control of a dinosaur against three other dinosaurs. You have a city that is constructed of buildings which are essentially cardboard floors with meeples in between them that effectively support the floors. And you move your dinosaur around and, in, and have to eat up all the meeples. Now in order to eat up all the meeples you have to either blow the meeples out of the building which actually involves you putting your chin on top of your dinosaur and then blowing as hard as you can, literally. You have the ability to essentially smash the building which involves taking your dinosaur and then dropping him from a great height on top of the actual building on the board and then watching as all the meeples fly everywhere including your own dinosaur. And you also have the option of chucking things at the building, such as random ice cream trucks and army vehicles that you find dotted around the place. And you do that by positioning the truck on top of the dinosaur's head and then flicking it off with your finger. So this is a rather obscure take on a dexterity style game. But as you can tell, it's obviously somewhat crazy and a bit weird. But boy is it fun. I mean, it really was fun. It's You just turn into such a kid playing this game. I mean, we actually did play with a kid. Uh, I had two friends from the Portsmouth on Board uh, gaming group and one of the and another person who was, I believe, one of their sons who came along for the ride. And we had just as much enjoyment, if not more, than the son did. It's just one of those games that just turns you into a kid and forces you to be crazy. Especially in my case where, because each dinosaur has a special ability and a special sort of superpower that they get at the start of the game, which is randomly drawn from a deck of cards... I ended up with a sticky tongue upgrade, which basically meant that I could eat meeples at long range. Always good, but essentially that meant I had created Yoshi. So, Yoshi being one of my favourite Super Mario characters, this instantly got me hooked into the game even more. It was essentially a bloodbath of meeples. Constantly we're dropping dinosaurs on top of buildings, uh, we're chucking, I was chucking ice cream trucks across the board very badly. Uh, only two of us actually tried to blow meeples out of buildings. All of us were a bit hesitant at doing that at first because, well, let's face it, do you feel fine about putting your head to a board and then just going, you know, blowing as hard as you can on it? Yeah, it does look a bit weird. But eventually we tried it and it actually proved to be quite an effective tactic. So, funny enough, we all started a trend as soon as that occurred. But mostly we were enjoying picking up our dinosaur, judging where to drop it, and then just watching the chaos as meeples and floors fly all over the place. There's a bit of backstabbery in the game as well because you can knock each other's teeth out, like quite literally. You have teeth that determine how many meeples you can eat in a turn and by throwing ice cream trucks at each other or punching each other or just generally causing damage to other dinosaurs, you can knock their teeth out and hinder their ability to eat meeples. It's really cool and zany in that respect. And by the end of the game, you're looking to collect sets of colored meeples. So complete a set and you get so many points. Uh, can fulfill your objectives on your cards that you get at the start of the game that gives you more points but it was a landslide victory in my favor because i was just om nom nomming meeples all over the shop i didn't necessarily care what colors i got at one point i just literally kept going for multiple meeples and by the time we revealed our stomachs at the end of the game it was pretty clear that as i emptied this giant sack full of meeples it was clear that i was running away with the victory but rampage is just a fun game why am I not going to buy it myself? Well, that's because I have a thing about collecting games. Granted, I'm not the best one to take care of games sometimes. And, you know, some of my games, can you, you can see wear and tear just like anybody else because I like playing my games. 
But I do like them to remain in at least a reasonable condition or as good a condition as I can possibly hold out. And just the concept of having people dropping stuff all over the place and blowing on my game is a little off-putting for me to want to own it. But if somebody else brings it to the table and I have a chance to play it, say, at a convention or anything like that, then sign me up because this game is just hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. So that was the first event of the marathon, the great zany crazy rampage. Marathon then moved on to a new game that I have been tempted to play for so long. Finally, somebody else had revealed that they actually own the game and I got a chance to play it, and that's Alien Frontiers. Alien Frontiers is similar to Kingsburg, but I believe Alien Frontiers came first. It was a Kickstarter game in which it's one of those types like Kingsburg where you roll dice and then use those as your workers in a worker placement mechanic. In this case, your dice represent spaceships and you are trying to colonize a planet by collecting power or uh, special alien tech cards that kind of thing and you're looking to get the most control on the planet against your opponents and end up with the most victory points it works really well and it has a really cool retro sci-fi style theme i like games where you have to roll dice and then do something with the dice other than just simply read off a number those are quite cool i have similar things like kingsburg is another great exception um, sorry not exception another great example of such a game uh, Seasons is another great one where you roll these big chunky dice and then do things with them. I have not tried Quarriers, but it may be a game that I would like on that basis because that's a similar sort of deck building dice game. But just something better than just reading off a number and going six. And that's it. You know, boring stuff like that. Alien Frontiers, though, is a very tight game, I have to say. We literally finished on a freeway tiebreaker with three of us playing. And I believe it literally came down to a two person win because. We could not decide who won the game other than one person deciding, oh, I'll just let you win. So rather than have a situation where obviously one person would only flip the table as soon as they realized they weren't picked for a silly reason, we just agreed, shook hands and had a two-way victory. That would be me and my colleague. But whoa, it was a tight game at the end. You are constantly back and forth robbing control of territories from each other and you can get extra ships, uh, extra dice to use. Each colony you get gives, sorry, not colony, each territory that you control gives you a special power. And each of us followed completely different strategies for getting past the game. Uh, one player was building a lot of ships and getting extra ships with a territory bonus. So, you know, just having multiple ships. I was not getting so lucky on my dice rolls for that kind of thing. So I decided to just consume all the alien tech cards i could get and grab that territory that gave me cheaper alien tech costs and basically i found myself manipulating less dice but just being able to do whatever i felt like to the dice and using special powers and that worked quite well for a time until people tried to stop me doing it the third player i believe his technique was to try and just get out colonies as fast as possible by any means necessary rather than worrying about ships and all three worked to an extent we finished on a freeway tie, so it proves that there's a lot of ways to play this game. Now recently, Game Salute, a publisher in the UK, have taken this game up and produced a fourth edition. I am this close to deciding whether I want to buy it, because I enjoyed that game. I have it on the iOS, and I believe it's very good eye on the iOS, even against computer opponents, because that's all you can play on the iOS. And the fourth edition does look a bit nicer. It has a pointless uh, double-sided board, because they kick-started some rocket dice that you could use and to be honest i don't like the rocket dice they look a bit weird and 
they're just going to roll around all over the place. But ignoring that fact, the fourth edition does improve on the components. It improves the card stock a little bit, but it also gives you these really cool sort of dome-like colony uh, counters to use rather than the smarties in the original game. I really don't know why a lot of people prefer the wooden smarties. I mean, okay, it's wood compared to plastic, but you're comparing a plastic dome that looks very much like a typical retro sci-fi colony dome that you saw in the films to a coloured smarty, effectively. There's no contest in my book. You've got to go with the plastic colonies. So I am very tempted to get the fourth edition of this game. Haven't decided yet. It's, ugh, it's one of those on the borderline, do I want it or not? But I still found this game very enjoyable and I urge you to play this game if you get a chance to because it's worth at least a try. That's Alien Frontier. The next few games of the Portsmouth Marathon, part of the marathon anyway, were games that I was already familiar with. I moved on to a Cosmic Encounter game with some new players to enjoy that because I had not played it for a while, but mainly it was so I could avoid having to play Power Grid, which was the only other option available. And to be honest, I would walk through fire and then turn around and then walk through the same fire again in order to avoid playing Power Grid. If you have listened to my podcast in the past or if you've looked at my recent top 10 overrated games list, you'll know that I hate Power Grid with a divine passion. I cannot stand that game, so when it was trouted as an option, I left my friend to test the game and find out for himself why I don't like it and moved on to Cosmic Encounter. Uh, the Cosmic Encounter game could have been a bit more exciting. There wasn't as much negotiation as I would like, although it was amusing at the end where I was supposed to get a two-way victory with someone and then they stabbed me in the back and got a two-way victory with someone else. I was not best pleased about that, but oh well, that's Cosmic Encounter for you. It could have been better, but it was still a good laugh. After that, I moved on to Flashpoint Fire Rescue, which is always a fun co-op game of mine. But on this occasion, it was about a short-lived game of Flashpoint Fire Rescue because the issue was, yes, I played with five players, two kids and uh, three other adults, but I swear I was playing with a group of fire arson terrorists. It just seemed that way. Every time they rolled for advancing the fire, they caused explosion, 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 explosion everywhere. So by the time it even got round to my go, half the house had pretty much disintegrated. And I swear we only lasted about mm, four or five rounds in total before the whole place collapsed. You know, what kind of firefighter team was this? Literally, they're just trying to blow up the place from the inside. It was a group of terrorists and then me. It was a rather epic fail style of game. It was a good laugh, but it just didn't last as long as I would normally hope for a game of Flashpoint. And that's the last time I'll play with them if they're going to go around blowing the place up. You know, learn how to be a proper firefighter. You're supposed to save the victims. After the rather epic fail game of Flashpoint Fire Rescue, I was then able to join in a game of Battlestar Galactica. Finally, I got a chance to play this game, even though it was with a few relative unknowns, so I didn't really know anybody playing the game, but it gave me a chance to test out this new traitor-style game, which some people like to compare to Shadows of a Camelot. Now, I really like Shadows of a Camelot, despite its poker hand style of gameplay, and I love the traitor mechanic, so I was keen to get this in. It's been said that you don't need to watch the series in order to play the game. Well, technically that is true, but when all the characters are based on characters from the series, I would say it does help, because I chose an Asian female pilot 
I had no idea who she was. I didn't know why she got particular abilities. So people had to explain to me why I had to deal with these effects. And the game is okay. I mean, you basically have all these problems that come across and you have to vote. You have to place cards from your hand of varying colors in order to whether you're going to solve the problem or not. Now, you always have a Cylon in the party at some point in the game. And basically, the Cylon will want you to fail certain missions and he will put cards that give you negative values towards the goal, that kind of thing. And obviously, the heroes have to try and put in enough cards so that they can pass it. Most of the time, you tend to fail these missions or just not care about them too much, I found. But certainly, it does create a nice dynamic for trying to figure out who the Cylon is. I had an extra chance to become a Cylon because of my character's ability and unfortunately I wasn't a Cylon in any of the times because you get a chance at the start of the game and also halfway through it. Which is a shame. I love playing the evil character and always I always seem to end up being the goody. Happens in Avalon Resistance, it happens in Shadows of a Camelot, it happened in Battlestar Galactica. Why can't I get a break and play the evil character? Playing the evil character is so much more fun in these games because you get to bluff, hide and deceive. And don't take that as to a thought of what my personality is in real life. I'm not like that. But it's certainly as fun in a board game. You know, you want to be what you're not. So, you know, don't think of me as an evil lying person. But the game itself, it's... The theme is there. There's, you know, some good back and forth between the characters and you get to fly outside your ship and kill uh, reavers or raiders, whatever they were called, you know, basically the Cylon ships and you get to do things on, on the ship itself. But I just felt a bit bored playing a pilot because occasionally you fly outside, but all you're doing is just comparing a die roll to a die roll in order to beat up the opponent. And the same goes for the other way around. The pilot cards that you picked up during the game were mostly the same. It was either get an extra attack or just get extra maneuverability, and that was it. It just seemed that the two people having the most fun were really the, uh, I believe it's the general and the president, who get to pick up extra cards to play and also had more interesting political characters. So I was a little bit disappointed with this. I was expecting a lot more from this game. I'd give it another try, different group of people that I'm familiar with, maybe change uh, and play one of the political characters, that kind of thing. But it just really didn't grab me as much as I was hoping. It sounded like there was a much better game of Werewolf going on across the game room for like, oh my god, there was like 20 people? There was quite a lot of people playing that Werewolf game. I, feel, I felt I would have rather have been in that than the Battlestar Galactica game. So, a bit disappointed to begin with, but I'll give it another shot. I don't think it's overrated just yet. Once that was done, it was time to move on to Southampton. I grabbed my stuff, quickly went by the flat to swap some games in the bags around, and then straight to Southampton. Now, if some of you are thinking, well, hang on a minute, that hour in between is technically a break. While I was prepared for this, I was intending to extend the marathon one extra hour just in case anyone had any objections. No one that I met on the day had any objections. However, I ended up doing 32 hours anyway, so I wouldn't exactly say I was losing out on that. But also, I don't class driving as a break. You've got to concentrate on the road. So it's not... And you know, you're driving from Portsmouth to Southampton, it's not the most entertaining route in the world. So you have got to accept that there was, even though it's a break from gaming as such, it certainly wasn't a break from being a break in itself. And I did extend the marathon to compensate. 
So there is that. I can only do so much when I have to travel to two conventions because I have not yet learned the powers of teleportation. When I got to Ministab, unfortunately it was difficult to get into a game at that point because there was already a big game of Twilight Imperium 3 going on and an 8 player game of Eldritch Horror. Why someone chose to play an 8 player game of Eldritch Horror I have no idea because that is suicide. That game took forever and it put off a few people as a result. But I had to basically start up a solo game of Sentinels in the Multiverse in order to keep the marathon going. Although thankfully, as I had just finished setting up, some new players arrived and were willing to come into a basic game, which was great. So I invited them in. We had a nice five player game of Sentinels of the Multiverse teaching newbies and fighting. Who did we fight? Who was the villain I chose? Um, ah, it's a good question. Who did we choose? I can't remember the villain. Was it? No, it wasn't Playgrat. Uh, oh, it was Ambuscade. Ambuscade. That was it. Yes, the Bounty Hunter promo. We fought against Ambuscade, he is basically equipped with loads of really cool guns and dishes out quite a lot of damage and eventually turns invisible so you have to destroy his cloaking device in order to get him back. But with 5 heroes and most of us using level 1 style heroes where it's mostly direct damage, we didn't have much of a problem taking them out. So it was a relatively easy game, but then that's normal with 5 heroes in general and Ambuscade is only a level 2 difficulty so he's not the hardest character to beat. But they enjoyed it. They really enjoyed it. And it's a shame I didn't get to have a repeat game with them straight afterwards because the others had finished and it was time to move on. And by move on, I mean onto Tales of the Arabian Nights. Tales of the Arabian Nights was one of my games that I bought because most people don't own this game it doesn't seem to get as much buzz as it should and i thought it would be a great thing to have at a convention it's a storytelling game at its most nature which essentially means that you shouldn't really care about winning or losing it's all about going through the encounters finding out the hilarious things that happens to each other's characters and essentially just enjoying the ride a bit like those fighting fantasy books that you read as a kid where you had to read a paragraph and then make a choice and it said go to paragraph 34 that kind of thing. I used to read them a lot and I really enjoyed them. And they seem to be taking a bit of a resurgence now, I seem, with friends of mine. They're talking about them quite a lot. Maybe I should get a few of them and have another playthrough. Ah, well, I digress. But Arabian Nights was played as a four or five player game. I think it was a five player game in the end. And I deliberately set a time limit because when you play with more than four players, well, you're basically just asking for it in terms of the... Uh, like length of the game it takes because with five or six players you could be sat around not doing much for two turns apart from listening and the game does drag on a bit so you set a 92 hour limit and it works pretty well once we'd settled into the game we'd had some really funny encounters people getting screwed over by various means and completing quests left and right however i managed to achieve something which i've not seen happen in tales of the arabian nights yet Something that had been hinted at in the book and by other players, but one that was so hard to find in any other game I'd played a bit. I was able to actually die. Most of the time an encounter will put you in a bad situation and then something miraculously saves you, or you just end up in a bad way. In this case, I actually died. And not because I had no skill either. I had a chance to go up against the genie for some bizarre reason because I was getting pursued, and it gave me a chance to use my magic skill. Now most of the time when you use a skill in that game it's beneficial but not always. 
In this case, I got laughed at so much by the genies because whatever magic I had was actually pitiful in comparison, and then they basically blew me into a million pieces of dust, and my character died. I was like, I've never seen that happen, and yet somehow I managed to achieve it. You know, and at that point, we decided that was a good point to end the game. End it on a high note, the fact that we'd actually managed to have a character death. And annoyingly, that it had to be me, but, uh, well, life. At this point, I wasn't necessarily struggling too much with being awake. I mean, obviously, I'd been awake for some time. But a Red Bull now and again, a cup of coffee, that sort of thing. And I was still keeping going, mainly because I'd bought some decent uh, snack food to keep me going that wasn't sugar-filled, so I didn't have a sugar crash, and also because I was staying hydrated with water. That's one of the best things you can do when you're doing one of these marathons, just stay hydrated, and you should feel fine for quite a while. But after that, after the Tales of the Arabian Nights game, I moved on to Shadows Over Camelot. I mentioned this earlier when I talked about Battlestar Galactica, and Shadows of a Camelot is my preferred of the two. It's simpler, even though the theme is sort of there, but not. not. It's I just think it handles the traitor mechanic better, and it's just a nicer, simpler game to play. Everybody can learn it easily, and yet there's a lot to do. Now, we were doing all right for the most part. We were effectively getting on with the Grail Crest, but we were struggling with others. Um, but we had a slight issue with catapults, and also on a couple of quests that just weren't getting completed. We carried on reasonably for a while, and I was getting to the point where I thought, I better accuse this bloke here, because I'm getting a bit suspicious of his play. Unfortunately, before I had a chance to do that, he revealed himself at a pretty bad time and screwed us a bit over, which is really annoying, because I was just about to go and accuse him as well, and he revealed himself as the traitor. For the rest of the game, it was difficult to complete the rest of the quests that we had. We fought on valiantly, but eventually we fell, and the traitor won. Just such a pain that I didn't get to accuse him earlier. But, you know, we were doing fine. And I think it was a six-player game we played. And it didn't take us that long to play. You know, it's Shadows of a Camelot is a quick game. And I had no problems with it. But, ah well, I can't win every game. Especially not at a 32-hour marathon. So after that point, we moved on to some games. After this point, we were starting to get into the early morning hours, and by this point, yes, I could tell I was flagging a bit. And so were certain other players as well, because they weren't there doing marathons, but they'd, done, they'd been up for a while, and some of them had been drinking. I was being teetotal for the whole event, because let's face it, it was one of the worst things you could think of doing on a 24-hour 20, marathon, is to drink alcohol. But we started getting into weird games from this point, games I never even knew existed. Uh... First off, though, we had one that was familiar to me in some guise, but not the one we were playing. We played a game called Eat Poop You Cat. Literally called Eat Poop You Cat. Other players in America might know this more as Telestrations, which is a really cool party game, almost a bit like Chinese Whispers. You start off with a phrase or a name or something like that, and the next player afterwards draws what he reads. The next player after that then has to write down what he thinks he sees in the picture and then after that the next player draws what he sees. So it carries on in this fashion and eventually you get round to the start and rather than caring about who won, won or lost because this isn't really a win or lose game, you just reflect on what was drawn, what was written and laugh out loud. 
Unfortunately, I was realised I was playing with a very crude group of people and that were partially intoxicated, which meant that there was a lot of rude words and rude stuff going around the pictures and that, which kind of showed the mentality of people when you're drunk, really. But it was still hilarious, just not something that you would reflect on in a family-friendly podcast, let's just put it that way. But some of the stuff that it came out with, I mean, I started off with very simple phrases or characters. I mean, I think I chose Hermione Granger as one. And the stuff that followed from that was just beyond belief about how it suddenly turned into just <laughs> playing chaos. I, I say to people, if you get a chance to play this Telestrations game, give it a try because it is just hilarious party fun. I don't know whether I would play it in the guise of Eat Poop You Cat, but I would certainly like to pick up the normal game of Telestrations with the whiteboard and erasable markers. That sounds like a really cool way to play the game. I mean, okay, you could just play it with pen and paper, but it's nice to have the actual game, really, rather than just trying it like that. But that was the first kickoff for the early morning hours. After that, we had this weird little card game called, I think it was The Great Dalmuti, or Falmuti, something like that. And... This is a weird card. I don't get the point of this card game. There is no end game condition in it, or at least not one that they told us about. You just effectively play the cards in sets based on number, and there are rules determining when you can play stuff, when you can't play stuff, and you just keep going round and round until eventually everybody is out. And then the next round, depending on at what point you were out, you get to sit in a particular position, and you get to trade with other players before the round starts, and then you just rinse and repeat. And it was okay, but it was hard to understand what was going on, and I just didn't get the point of the game. Normally, with a party game that doesn't have a win-or-lose condition, there is at least a lot of fun to have along the way. And in Tales of the Arabian Nights, as an exception to a party game rule, you don't play that for win-or-lose, you just have fun with all the encounters. But for some bizarre reason, this was just a simple play-a-set-collection card game that wasn't that funny. There's no theme to it, it's just a bunch of pictures and cards. And I just didn't really get the point of it, really. I was just going through the motions at that point. So if you have a look it up on Board Game Geek if you want to know more information about it. But I just remember playing it and just not really caring about what was going on. Nor did the poor bloke who was sitting next to me either. He was getting confused about all the rules. Although, to be fair, he was drinking more port than everybody else was. Once that was done, though, we were getting into really early morning hours. We were getting into sort of like the half past three, four o'clock in the morning aspect and I brought out Liar's Dice, or Perudo, as you might also know it. Liar's Dice is a classic little, I suppose I could call it a party game. It's essentially a filler game where it's it's the same game that was played in Pirates of the Caribbean 2, where you've got all the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the sailors on Davy Jones' ship, and they're bidding for years of service. They have a set of dice that they roll and hide under cups. They then look under their cup to see what they've rolled and then make bids as to how many of a particular number exist on the board, like five sixes, seven threes, that kind of thing. There are rules for what sort of bids you can do and what numbers are wild, that kind of thing. But it's essentially a bidding and bluffing game where you're playing the players and then also, well, you're playing the players, but based on the probability of what you think is out there. And as people get it wrong, they lose dice until eventually one person is left with only one person is left with dice and the less dice that you get in future rounds and obviously you have to factor that in when you're making your bidding guesses it's a really cool little filler game it's generally a popular one some people complain that it's just pure luck than anything else but i don't believe that 
you know, there is some skill to the game in how you bid and that. But just generally, it's a light filler game with dice and it causes a good laugh. So it's just doing its job, being a light filler. It's not a strategic game. It's just simply a bidding and bluffing game, which are always popular in my collection. Or at least the bluffing aspect is, not necessarily the bidding part. And then here is where things got difficult. Even the people who were drinking port and having a good time had to go to bed at some point. So five in the morning, they all went off leaving me to effectively look after all the games that were in the room and just entertain myself until the next person turned up, which turned out to not be until about half nine, ten o'clock in the morning. But I was sticking to my marathon, which meant I had prepared for this eventuality and brought some solo games along. Now, the only two solo games I had were Flashpoint Fire Rescue and Sentinels in the Multiverse, two of my favourite co-ops, so I didn't have a problem playing them, but... The problem I had was that for the most of the night I was managing with the sleep deprivation. But that was mainly because I was interacting with other people and you'd be surprised how much that keeps you awake. But when you are by yourself, suddenly the speech center of your brain is no longer being stimulated. And as a result, your brain just drifts and drifts and drifts and wants to go to sleep, especially when you've been up for that long. So constantly, whilst I'm setting the game up and thinking out tactical moves with Sentinels of the Multiverse and Flashpoint, it just got so bad trying to stop my mind from drifting. I was this close to just literally falling asleep on the chair. And by this point, I'd run out of Red Bulls, so there was only so much I could do with just water. You know, give myself a few face slaps if need be. But Perseverance won through the day. I managed to get through a couple of games of Sentinels of the Multiverse and a game of Flashpoint before the first person arrived and they were good games and part of that was also testing out dangerous waters the expansion which meant that i now had some basis to start writing a review on at a later date and you're going to be getting a review of dangerous waters uploaded in the next week i suspect it's almost finished and it will be coming very soon but eventually someone did arrive and i finally had someone to talk to and because dawn had broke I don't know what it is. It's where your body clock seems to... It's like my body clock reset itself once storm broke and it got to like 8 or 9 in the morning. Essentially, it had given up on the fact that I hadn't slept throughout the night and just accepted, it's a new day, you're normally awake at this point, let's go. So, when it got to about 10 o'clock, when I was in my first game, I managed to complete my 24 hours marathon as stated before. But then my friends started turning up. And they wanted to play Twilight Imperium free, and I'd booked myself in to fill a slot. Oh dear. Twenty-four hours, and then I decided to play Twilight Imperium free. People thought I was nuts for doing this, and they were probably right. It was not. It wasn't a painful experience, but. At Whilst I'm trying to make strategic decisions through that game, my mind is not thinking at its best. And I'm sort of like, okay, when's this game going to end? Because it's a variable game end trigger, so you don't know when it's going to end. But you just know you're going to go home and sleep when you do. It was still a fun game of Twilight Imperium 3, though. I'd already played it once, so I sort of knew what I was doing. And I also got to play the Emirates of Hakan this time, so I was able to play Space Aslan. I'd been wanting to play that race for quite a while because I like the trading aspect in games. 
I almost got screwed over at the start, though, because I had a new player next to me, uh, my mate Sam, who was basically, when he gets into a game, he likes to be the warmonger in all of them. And he was getting a little bit close to comfort to my somewhat non-warlike fleet. And I was just worrying, oh god, I'm going to get killed early in the game and then there's no point playing for five hours. You know, this is the problem with Twilight Imperium 3. You can get taken out of the game, or effectively taken out of the game, and there's no chance to get out of it. But I was able to engage in a rather dubious truce with him, in the sense that, right, you can come this far, but now you've got to worry about the player next to you. I'm going to go for these planets. Leave me alone. And for the most of the game, this truce worked fine because in the end, they had bigger fish to fry with two other players getting pretty high up in the rankings. And I continued throughout the game getting trade goods, trying to get the techs I wanted. And if there's one thing about Twilight Imperium 3, it's that you never get all the techs you want. But I was making a mint on my trade agreements until uh, one of the other players, Lynette, decided to stab me in the back on our trade agreement and basically played an action card that rid me of all my nice trade goods that I had bolt, you know, hoarded in order to use for future turns. So I was not best pleased about that. But I didn't, try, I didn't get rid of the trade agreement because in the end I wanted to trade goods from the agreement. So I suppose what can I complain about there? But then it got to the end game and I actually deliberately tried to get the game ended quick. because Not because I wasn't enjoying the game, but I didn't expect to win. I thought I was just going to lose this game and my brain was at a stage where it's like, okay, seriously, go home and sleep. You've done your, you've almost done your 32 hours, just end the game. Now, the only way to end the game though is for the card to come out of the objective deck saying, uh, Metacol Rex, you win the game or whatever it's called. And the only person who was doing that was me. So I had to basically just focus my attention on cycling through that objective deck which was good and bad because most of the objectives were combat orientated and I wasn't very good at combat, but I was able to gain one or two of them along the way. The one of them in particular though that I grabbed was, well, let's just say Sam's not going to trust me again in any future game. We had this nice truce going and it was agreed that he wouldn't come near me, I wouldn't go near him. So he moved a lot of his ships to the nearby planets on the other side because he had to deal with Lynette who was coming down, who was basically like the MVP at the time. Unfortunately, an objective came out that said, if you destroy uh, an entire space dock, you got two bonus points. He also had an artifact on the nearby planet, which I was able to steal on the subsequent turn, that gave an extra victory point. So that was three victory points that I could gain in the space of a turn or two. And when considering the maximum you get is 10 and most games finish with one point to spare or something, every victory point counts, so three was a lot. I had to apologize for effectively making a bit of a dick move on him, and I sent my war sons that I had been building up and up on my home base straight to his home world and decimated it, completely decimated his home world. War sons away. Let's just say he wasn't too best pleased about that, but I had to apologize profusely. I didn't want to do this. Seriously, I didn't want to, but it's a good objective card. I can't resist. So I obliterated his planet and nicked his artifact. Uh, on the subsequent turn, I kept my end of a bargain I made with him and vacated the premises. Um, but at this point of the stage, it was a bit late because I only had two choices of objective cards to cycle through and one of them had to be the end game trigger because there's only a finite number of cards and you know that the end game trigger is in there somewhere 
So if he wanted to retaliate, he certainly wasn't going to have enough time to do it. And obviously I had brought back my war sons to my home base. So it's like, yeah, come at me, bro. I got war sons. What are you going to do about it with your destroyers? To be fair, actually, if two people had ganked up on me, I think I would have died somewhat instantly. So it wasn't exactly a sound move to try and bait them into doing so. But by this point, I had gained a pretty good point lead and I was fearing an attack soon. But I'd, who was I going to fear it from? I'd already just decimated a fair few forces and the homeworld of the guy next to me. The Graham, who was sitting on my other side, was having problems of his own because he was very close to doing a rather impossible objective. But then Justin decided to stab him in the back and just suddenly come along and decimate half his forces, which stopped his objective. He wasn't too best pleased about that either, so I think there's going to be a few grudges coming from this game. Sam is not going to trust me ever again, I'm never going to trust Lynette ever again, and uh, Graham is never going to trust Justin again. Can't wait for the next game of Twilight Imperium 3. It's going to be interesting how the negotiations collapse instantly with it. Maybe I should make sure I side with Chris. I think he's the only one who I probably don't have a grudge with at the moment. Or vice versa. But in the end, and Lynette was obviously too far across the table to do anything about me because she was too far away. So I was looking for a good victory. And lo and behold, I took the strategic card to cycle through the objective deck. And out came the end game trigger. Victory to me with three point lead. It was quite a decisive victory. That will teach them to think that I had no brain cells left to strategize Twilight Imperium 3 after being up for 24 hours. I'm a born again gamer and I'm a true gamer. I can stay up for 32 hours and still play Twilight Imperium 3. Do not underestimate me. Oh well, I'm probably going to eat these words next time. I'm probably going to get ganked on and humiliated in the next game. So we'll soon see how that turns out. But with Twilight Imperium 3 ended, that concluded my 32 hour marathon and all I had to do was just drive home and go to bed. Did I go to bed? No, because I'm an idiot in that respect. I felt reasonably awake at that point when we finished the game, so when I got home I just did some chores and chilled really. Um, you know, watched a bit of TV in that. I went to bed a little earlier than normal, but not much earlier than usual before going, you know, getting up for work. And that was probably a mistake because I did feel it the next day, but oh well, that's just me. I'm a night owl, so I'm used to staying up late. But I really should have just heeded my original warning and gone to bed straight after I got home. So, 32 hours, it was good fun. I got to play a lot of games, including a lot of my favourite games, as well as some new games to try out. And, well, in the end, it was good fun. I enjoyed it immensely. Would I do it again? Probably, but not for 32 hours. I think I would probably cap it at 24 next time. And to be honest, I mainly did it because it was partially tabletop day and also, um, as well as being for charity, but it was also my 30th birthday as well. So it was kind of like, right, let's pull it all together. Mini Stabs should be getting hosted again in six months' time. But I'm not going to want to do a massive marathon then. I will probably just stay up late and then get a hotel for the night and then come back early the next day. Because, you know, marathons aren't easy to do. People underestimate how hard it is to stay up for that long. Especially when you only have so much in order to stimulate your nerve centers in the brain to keep you awake. But it was still good fun. It was a solid weekend all around. I'd been eating tapas constantly on my birthday night. And then I got to play for 32 hours of gaming. 
Needless to say, I was gamed out for the week and I didn't go to a single games club that week. Or, in fact, I don't remember actually playing a single extra game that week. So, I needed to take a break. However, that break has now ended. I've been playing the odd solo game lately. And right now, I need to head off to my friend Justin's house because there's a gaming session going on there where I think they're asking me to bring Caverna along. However, as well as that, I think I'll be taking nothing personal along as well now that I've read through the rules because it just suits that particular group. Backstabbery and blind negotiation? Yeah, I think that will go down pretty well. So that's it for me. I hope you've enjoyed this special episode of The Broken Meeple. It's a bit shorter than most, but... It was a fun charity marathon. Thank you everybody who donated to it. I raised over £150 for Cancer Research UK and it was worth every penny. So that's it for me. I'll see you next time on episode 17 where normal service will resume. I have undecided what topic discussion will happen and what top 10 will happen. But as soon as this is uploaded, I will put a poll up on BoardGameGeek so you can vote on the next top 10. So, without further ado, I'm going to sign off now. This is Luke Hector at The Broken Meeple, saying goodbye this time. You have been listening to The Broken Meeple Podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on BoardGameGeek and iTunes and SoundCloud.com. You may find the blog at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk you can find me on Twitter at The Broken Meeple, and there is also a Facebook and Google Plus page. Just search for The Broken Meeple and you'll find it easily. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. Take care, keep enjoying playing games, and I'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>